Hello and welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Mike Sultan. I'm the editor of LNG Intelligence, our daily LNG publication. I'll be the host for today's discussion. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Ian Nathan, EI's Director of LNG Research. Hi, Ian. Hi, Mike. Uh, today, we're going to want to examine LNG supply prospects in the context of a strong market. Uh, we'll consider what's under construction and under development and working to, toward FID, but we'll also look at emerging gas provinces and, and whether they have a future. And uh, Ian, as we talked about, this is an unusually strong market with high prices, both in Asia and Europe. And adding to that, we have a slow pace of the, the current LNG capacity build out. Um, but what will it take for, what's, what's it gonna take for new supply to move forward? Uh, you know, this is this is a really important question. I, I've been looking forward to having this discussion and, and to doing this podcast for for a while now because uh, because really this the strength of, of of the market this year has has really been quite something. And it's not just the spot market, but also with oil prices recovering. Uh, you know, you really have a situation where uh, it's just such a stark contrast from uh, from last year. So, you know, really happy to be able to to have this chat. But first, I think we need to, uh, you know, let's not forget that there, there's roughly 140 million tons a year of capacity already under construction and on the way uh, through the mid 2020s. Uh, so that's that's interesting. We have you know, a wave of sorts, uh, you know, forth, forthcoming. But I think really what we're, we're what we're getting getting to here is is really this next wave. And, uh, you know, and and in the context of of a very tight market right now, these questions are, you know, invariably turn to, uh, you know, new supply. Uh, but there are several factors that have to be considered. Uh, you know, one, of course, is that a strong market is uh, is important and even necessary uh, in some respects. Um, but in and of itself, it doesn't guarantee new capacity. It's just a necessary condition. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and rarely do you see uh, an awful lot of capacity moving forward uh, under conditions like you saw last year, where you had oil prices collapse and spot prices collapse and uh, and demand collapse, um, and you know so so this year uh, and under these circumstances under this kind of strong market, uh, you know that supportive environment is critical, but but you know ventures they still need to be competitive, uh, they still need to meet buyer needs on. Uh, factors like uh, contract duration um, and delivery terms, um, and increasingly and importantly uh, on emissions. And they also need to be free of above ground risk, uh, you know, particularly your country related matters where we've seen uh, several issues uh, emerge uh, over the last year or two. Uh, and also, uh, they need to be free from partnership alignment issues. Again, this is a, this is a concept that we keep coming back to. And that is that uh, the, the partners all really need to be on the same page with regard to uh, executing the project, you know, project design, but also whether or not it's a priority. Yeah. So yeah. all of these factors still need to be uh, taken into consideration um, on, on, against the backdrop of a strong market. And as uh, looking back to that period, I've always thought that the uh, the record low pricing of the the like mid COVID period, mid twenty twenty, followed by the record high pricing that followed, it sort of gave the market a a kind of stress test. It's sort of the silver lining to that period. If you're if you're putting together a long term deal, now you both parties know sort of an idea of what the extreme pricing levels could be uh, on one end and the other end. So it helps in restructuring a deal, helps in structuring how a deal should go. 
Well, sure. We, we learned a lot last year uh, with low prices. Uh, we, we learned how low LNG needed to go before it crowded out uh, pipeline supply and other gas sources. We even saw at least in, in maybe one or two countries that uh, uh, that LNG was cheaper than their own domestic output. Um, and, but we also saw how low prices really hurt uh, sellers. Uh, again, another reminder about uh, about how important cost is, um, you know, to be able to withstand uh uh, you know, the cycle. Uh, now, high prices, though, on the other end of the spectrum are undermining, uh, you know, greater LNG penetration as baseload fuel uh, in, in power. Uh, you know, for those who are uh, now considering how to fuel uh, electricity demand growth, for example. So, uh, you know, conditions like these are certainly not helping uh, the fuels cause in, in some of those countries, uh, particularly when, you uh, you know, you have other other electricity sources that uh, are certainly becoming more competitive. Yeah, you know, yeah. On that, uh, related to that, you you and I have been talking a lot about the uh, the new supply outlook that's coming out shortly, and we talked a lot about individual projects. But you said something the other day that I thought was pretty interesting. In you know, individual projects have have risen and fallen, but we still expect we still, despite all of that, we still expect a, a similar overall volume to be, uh, you know, to reach FID to 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 be added to the capacity. Right, well, yes. First, thank you for pointing out that I said something interesting. Uh, that's, that's good to hear. Um, but, but yes, you know, as as we're considering um, our our next uh, supply outlook, uh, you know, and we're we're looking at at what's happened over just the last six months. Uh, you know, you can see that uh, you know the fortunes have risen and fallen uh, for for several uh, for several projects. And, um, you know, and as we're looking at what we expect to move forward in the rest of 2021 and into 2022, um, what we're coming up with at this point in time is, uh, is, is something very similar in terms of capacity. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing roughly similar capacity numbers. So even though the players are changed a little bit, uh, the capacity is still by and large the same. And, you know, and that really shows that, uh, it reinforces, I should say, our uh, this ongoing narrative of, uh, of abundant opportunities on the supply side. Um, you know, and it, it is worth noting, though, that obviously not everything is going to move forward. That's that's a given, but it just shows that for those that are able to uh, to uh, you know to increase their appeal for buyers and to achieve financing and to be competitive uh, and to navigate. All of the uh, all of the risks and, and other obstacles um, that they they still have a chance for success. And when some of these other projects under development are delayed, or in some cases even canceled, uh, you know that seemingly provides uh, new opportunity for some of these other projects under development. Um, you know, so that that's what makes this so interesting is because you know right now uh, you know there have been. Uh, uh, winners and losers over the last six months alone, uh, and that maybe 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 it's not fair to say winners and losers, but I just give you a couple of examples of how things have changed. Uh, quick example: um, Novatex Obsky uh, project. Uh, you know, for years we thought that um, uh, that this was going to be uh, an important priority, primarily because Novatech was working to prove up uh, its own liquefaction technology. Um, but what has happened is that Novatech has now changed uh, the purpose of this project, and it's now going to be something else. It's going to be uh, 
uh, an ammonia project. So um, all of a sudden, that 4.8 million ton per annum project is is now uh, something else. Um, in the U.S., we've just seen um, over the last few months how um, SEMPRA's uh, plans have changed. So, for instance, its Port Arthur project has now been delayed further, uh, even further than we thought was going to be delayed. Um, but at the same time, uh, its Cameron uh, expansion has been uh, reprioritized and has sort of moved ahead, um, you know, in, uh, in its queue. Um, and we also found that uh, that Tolarian's project at Driftwood, uh, you know, which really was looking problematic after its preliminary deal with Petronet uh, uh, expired, um, has recently demonstrated commercial support. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, that project is now uh, something we need to look more carefully at. Um, and that also includes some other activity with its project site uh, and the like. And there are also interesting prospects in Canada and Mexico as well. So, uh, you know, this is a very dynamic situation and it just shows that the opportunity is out there. Yeah, I, I think I think we can, as we were talking before, I think I can refer to this somewhat as a, you know, the LNG market as a peloton that keeps moving forward and yet within it eats the projects and the the, uh, the competitors shift positions frequently, for, just to sum it up there. Um, but as you're saying, individual projects rise and fall. So there, so this is where we there's potentially room, potentially for emerging gas provinces to come to come into play. And I want to turn to to some emerging gas provinces which we've been covering in LNG intelligence lately, and uh, and ask you know how how do they go about turning that gas into tradable LNG output output. And let me throw out a few countries and and, and see what you think. Let's start with with um, Israel and Cyprus, for example. Uh, well. You know, this is uh, this is a really interesting part of the world right now. Um, you know, with Israel, you have uh, already uh, a massive uh, producing asset with the Leviathan field, for example, um, and you have some existing liquefaction infrastructure uh, in Egypt. Um, you know, so uh, in in some respects, uh, Israel might not be that far from turning its abundant gas resources into LNG. Um, you know, it's not free for risk, though. You know, on the on the Egypt side, uh, you know, you do have the choice to transport gas to Egypt, um, but we do need to be cognizant of how uh, Cairo manages its gas sector. Uh, you know, and that is an important risk factor uh, to take into consideration. Um, another item to consider is is uh, you know Chevron's option to develop a liquefaction facility in Israeli waters. Um, you know, so. Uh, so there is some very interesting potential to see uh, additional volumes come out of the region. And, you know, and that should, um, uh, uh, you know, this is not going to happen overnight, um, you know, but it is important to consider uh, certainly in an environment where, you know, we see, um, you know, how the market can tighten and we see uh, where uh, where Egypt has, has been very keen to um, to. Uh, to export volumes seasonally to uh, to really ensure it gets the highest price for uh, you know for its cargoes, uh, and you also mentioned Cyprus. And Cyprus is interesting because uh, this is going to be dependent on on the partners there with gas discoveries proving up enough gas uh, to develop to develop uh, a liquefaction facility in Cyprus, uh, and I, I suspect that that's going to be the preferred option uh, if, if possible. 
Uh, so, you know, so some interesting possibilities coming out of that region. But as usual, uh, Egypt uh, continues to be really at the center of, uh, of the action. Yeah, the Easter, Eastern Med is, is, is complex and fascinating. It really is. Um, I was going to also throw, about, throw out, uh, what about Tanzania with the uh, uh, with a, a new president and uh, things have things seem, appear to have changed there, very roughly. Uh, Tanzania, you know, you know, for Shell at least, the the Tanzania delay uh, for all these years was was about above ground risk and the investment climate there. Uh, but now, you know, we have a new president. That's President Hassan, who who wants to get these. Uh, you know, wants to get Tanzania LNG uh, up and running. It wants to get it. Uh, she wants to get it executed. Uh, and Shell, Shell had considered uh, Tanzania to be a high reward but still high risk venture during uh, uh, Magufuli's reign. Um, but even though this all seems to be moving in the right direction with regard to uh, uh, Tanzania's desire to attract the partners back um, and to get something going, um, you know. There does still need to be an acceptable framework uh, with the government that needs to be concluded. And then, you know, the IRC partners need to be aligned on development. And, uh, um, and of course, the project still needs to be competitive and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, there's still several steps that need to move forward. Um, and that's to say nothing of, um, um, of, of above ground risks um, in the southern part of the country, uh, you know, related uh uh, to uh, Mozambique's uh, insurgency, and it's one thing that we have not forgotten, which is that even you know Mozambique is having problems, um, but that doesn't mean Tanzania won't have similar issues uh, down there as well. Um, so all of these risks, um, you know, go along with with a, a, a fairly interesting opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Another one that came up recently um, was uh, Suriname, which I had I had not seen uh, news about that in quite some time. Um, and I know it's a long it's a long way off, but it was so, something that did come up in LNG, LNG intelligence, and I thought I would we could uh, we could talk about that for a moment. What is that? What is Suriname looking like to you? Well, you know, in terms of the opportunity to monetize uh, this uh, uh, seemingly. Uh, uh, significant gas abundance uh, as LNG, uh, you know, it, it's still very early days uh, in, in, the, in terms of those sorts of developments. Um, and as such, you know, we need to consider that the timeline does matter, uh, particularly if the players are already starting to consider, uh, not the players, but if play, LNG players, if the industry uh, at large is already starting to consider alternatives to LNG. Um, so it, it's not uh, it's not an, sort of an infinite amount of time during which uh, the partners can sit around and decide whether or not they want to do this. Uh, but if they do decide that this is what they want to do, uh, just like with Tanzania and, and other countries, uh, there needs to be a supportive regulatory uh, fiscal framework. There needs to be, uh, you know, uh, an attractive, you know, commercial regime. There needs to be a, a plan um, that's acceptable to uh, the partners. The partners need to be aligned on the project design and execution. Um, and of course, uh, and importantly, uh, they need to sell the volumes. And, um, you know, so, so there, there are a lot of things that still need to happen um, in, in Suriname, but, uh, but the clock is, is certainly ticking um, in an industry that seems to be considering, uh, you know, how to move uh, beyond LNG and into other 
other fuels. Yeah, and that's a, a good segue into the uh, energy transition context here. I mean, uh, as to, as to, I mean, I guess that's a factor, not just for certain for for all projects as to how that's supposed to play into their into the into decision making. I suppose it'll be playing into it more and more as we go forward. Well, you know, as as I was noting uh, in my remarks a minute ago, um, I think the question is really about the extent to which there will still be an appetite for for long lived projects. Uh, you know, if anything, the planning needs to consider matters like carbon abatement in order to mitigate the risk of being um, unfriendly to you know to, to climate matters over the long term. I think this is. Uh, you know, this is certainly part of uh, 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 of this of this context. So, um, you know, this is why uh, you know everything is on the table right now, and this this has to do with not just um, something that we've written about uh, recently. It's not just about say um, you know offsets on particular cargos, but about um, uh, mitigating emissions. At, you know, certainly operationally um, at the plant site. Um, in figuring out how best to use uh, technologies like carbon capture, um, and uh, you know, and, and ultimately, um, and this goes to the infrastructure question that you and I were talking about um, uh, before. Um, certainly, on the receiving end, the, the the extent to which infrastructure can be built that will ultimately be easily transitionable to, uh, say, hydrogen, um, in order to. To make the investment, uh, to give the investment some longevity, uh, certainly on the market side of things, um, and so all this, uh, you know, really, um, you know, is really important. And look, and if you're if you're uh, if you're a project promoter, and you're looking to reach FID on a venture in the late 2020s, again, this is something that we've brought up several times in in recent months. Um, you know, you need to start asking uh, about uh, the viability of that project into the. the the 2040s, and um, and and whether or not that investment will still be uh, viable, and whether or not you can make better use of it, if if gas is not going to be, uh, uh, you know, the fuel of choice at that at that time. Yeah, very interesting. Interesting. I will definitely have further questions as uh, as items pop up in LNG in intelligence going forward. Um, thanks, Ian. We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast, and please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com.